Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who is somehow, some way, somewhere, and some... One. Some who (laughs) has not seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 14, Grotesque. It originally aired February 2nd, 1996. It was written by Howard Gordon, by himself, and directed by Kim Manners. Today, instead of starting out with the logline, I'm going to tell you a little excerpt of what Emily Todd Vanderwerf included about Grotesque in Monsters of the Week. Okay, then I'll give you my logline. Yes. Grotesque is, in many ways, pretentious and self-serious. Ooh, damn! (laughs) It feels like a dry run for Millennium, the Chris Carter-created series that would debut in the fall of 1996 alongside The X-Files' fourth season. She continues, It's disturbing in a superbly scary way. Oh, weird. I love it. I love the the roller coaster. Starts out with a real harsh criticism there and then ends with, oh, it's superb. It may be a harsh criticism, but is it an incorrect criticism? I'll tell you at the end of our episode. (laughs) Well, IMDb Mm -hmm. says, after a serial killer who claims to have killed people under the influence of a demon is arrested, the murders continue. Bum, bum, bum. That's almost scarier than two teenage girls. Nothing is scarier than two teenage (laughs) girls. That's why I said almost. Meanwhile, Mulder, who believes that the demon might have picked someone new, goes neck deep in the investigation. My logline is, this is the one where they are stressing out my beautiful baby boy. <laughs> he is... A lot is happening to Mulder in this episode. He's stressed. He's going to get gray hairs if he keeps it up. Oh my gosh. I'm surprised he didn't get gray hairs by the end. <laughs> During the episode. You know, like when you see a president, doesn't matter who, but the at inauguration, and then like six months later, they just have, they're just white. Eh, I've always found that to be misleading. It's at the end of their presidency where they look like they've aged nearly a decade. Well, yeah, it's nearly a decade later. No, I think it happens much faster than that. And I think it's, I was going to say maybe it's because they were dyeing their hair during the campaign and then they stopped because they didn't have to. Because honestly, dyeing your hair requires a lot of upkeep. And who has time for that? Not me. No, I say as I have just dyed my hair again. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's only a rinse, so it's so much easier. And it was the the first time in a while. I know, because it's so much work. (laughs) All right. So, this episode answers my question from episode 13, which was, how often are we going to to enjoy the satanic panic in small town USA? And the short answer is, often. Mm, Okay. So we're counting this as a satanic panic. Yes. All right. I am counting it as a satanic panic, whether or not you are. Okay. <laughs> so the story inspiration, so I have I have a little bit before we get into the episode because I thought this was interesting. And what are we doing here if we're not trying to be interesting? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be funny. Oh, I'm trying to impart at least a little bit of trivia for people. I'm not going to go so far as to say it's knowledge. It's more like, oh, and now I know this tidbit of useless information. Great. So, trivia. The story inspiration, Gordon was inspired to write the episode after walking down the streets of New York and seeing several stone gargoyles on the corner staring at him. Oh. 
The eeriness of the occurrence led Gordon to develop a tale involving possession by a gargoyle spirit. Gordon also influences the works of writers like Edgar Allan Poe and Dostoevsky more than horror films, which I read that before I watched it, and then I can see it because it's the tension. Mm, But it could also be classic horror. Okay. I liked it, though. And then I wrote Chris Carter rewrites Strike Again. He is a man who loves a rewrite. (laughs) Okay. So Gordon read a draft script for the episode, but the weekend before production began, remember that episode where they were rewriting it during production? Uh Uh-huh. So at least it wasn't that, but the weekend before, he had to completely rework it with the help of series creator Chris Carter, which makes me wonder why it was greenlit in the first place if it needed a complete rewrite. Yeah, I know on other shows that I really, really enjoy, the creator slash showrunner, that takes a pass on every episode. Uh, Yeah, but shouldn't you do it before the day of production? (laughs) Didn't you say the week before? The weekend before. Okay. During those few days, the two overhauled the script to add more psychological aspects to the episode. Fortunately, in this instance, Gordon was very proud of the final product. Good for him. Yeah. Good for everybody. Yeah. And then my final thing about the story inspiration and influences, I had to tell you a little bit about how Manners got ready for this episode. He listened to the soundtrack to the film Jacob's Ladder from 1990 on repeat until his wife finally asked, do we have to listen to that fucking CD again? (laughs) Wow. Not a very supportive wife. You don't know how many times he was listening to that. It doesn't matter. It's what he needed to get in the headspace to do his job. There are? To put food on the table. You think that she didn't do any work either? You think she's just sitting at home bitching? Yep. Wow. The glass of Chardonnay. Wow. Well, if she has to sit at home bitching and listening to... (laughs) Not enough, apparently. (laughs) They did have headphones back in the day. Yeah. And she should have put some on. Wow. You're really coming out of the gate hot on this one. Yeah, I am. Well, welcome, guys. The patriarchy has joined us. So we start off at George Washington University, the extension program. I guess they had to add that because most of these people are adults and it's nighttime. So it's like, why are all these folks in a program? Oh, it's an extension program. Oh, cool. So folks can go. I didn't bother to notice that. Well, I'm not surprised. Washington, D.C., a group of... Artists sketch a nude male model. And if I looked like that guy, I'd be a nude model too. However, one of the artists, John Mostow, draws a demonic creature in the model's place. Look, it's called artistic license. It is. At first, I thought this guy was Roland. Oh, did you? Yes. (laughs) Wow. While using a utility knife to sharpen his pencil, he cuts his hand and smears the blood on the drawing. Look, it's called modern art. Okay, but that's not the assignment. He gets an F. This is an extension program. I'm pretty sure he's F just... F minus. He's a, how do you know it wasn't the assignment? What if they were like, look at this I can guy. see the model. Look at this guy and let him inspire you. Nope. Have you ever taken a 2D art class? No. Well, then I guess you don't actually know, do you? Yes, I do. Did I take I've a, taught many 2D art did classes. Did I take a 2D art class and get an honorable mention for my pointillism still life? Yes, I did. 
Fantastic. Thanks. Did you draw what the actual model was? Yeah, I did. There you go. Yeah. It was pointillism, though, so it was already a weird medium. You don't know what that is. Come on. <laughs> I'm an adult. I know what pointillism is. The instructor calls time and everyone jams their charcoal drawings into their bag. Nope. You gotta spray that shit with Aquanet or something, or it will smudge. I thought so. I thought something was You can't. Off. Mm-mm. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've ever worked... Oh, I, have you ever worked with charcoal? But you've probably not since you've never taken a 2D art class. No, I worked with, like, watercolors when I was in single-digit age. I like that. I'm going to I'm gonna say that. Well, what what medium did you work... Did you work in today, five-year-old? John seems agitated, but still manages to say excuse me when he rushes by the teacher or the model. Did you notice that? He bumped into him pretty hard. Like he shoulder-checked the guy. He did say, excuse me, instead of just being a sweaty man, rushing out with his destroyed charcoal. Was he even sweaty? Was he, he not sweaty? Like, he had sweaty vibes, but I don't know if he was sweaty. He definitely had sweaty. He was vibing sweaty. <laughs> vibing sweaty guy. And then we get outside, and they show the gargoyle. And I go, is this going to be a gargoyle episode? Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> Gargoyles are so dope. I love gargoyles. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So after the session, the model goes to his car and discovers a pencil jammed in. I could not think of what it was called. The key slot where you put your car key? What is that called? Keyhole. Okay. He is then attacked and killed by a masked assailant with a box cutter, whom we can assume is the blood artist. Set note, because I noticed the building and I was like, oh, I wonder if I can find something out about Heritage Hall, because that's what building they came out of. And I sure did. Originally, the teaser was planned to be filmed at a Catholic hospital, but the shot was relocated to Heritage Hall, a building that had been both a post office and a Royal Canadian Mounted Police office in the past. <laughs> the following morning, Mostow is awoken by his most annoying alarm sound. Shortly after, the feds barge in and arrest him. Oh, no knock warrant. However, if you know how the feds dealt with Elian Gonzalez, because we just listened to that other episode, that other podcast... You'd wonder why they would bother to wait until morning. Just show up in the middle of the night. Maybe they showed up as soon as they figured out who it was. I doubt it. When have they ever been efficient? I also don't know. But you're right. No knock warrant. And then somebody gets bit. And you deserve it. But not before we see our guy, Kurtwood Smith. Yes. He is Agent Patterson. He is. And he is our second in a row person from that 70s show. Back to back, That 70s Show, guys. Most people know him as Red Foreman from That 70s Show. But every time I see him, I think of RoboCop. Yes. He's the main bad guy in RoboCop. And I always think of the line that he gives when they're being chased by the cops in a van. And, like, one of his guys gets shot in the leg. And he's trying. they're trying to get away from the cops. And he mm-hmm. picks the guy up and he goes, Bobby, can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> and chucks him out the back at the windshield of the cops whoa yikes the the line can you fly bobby can you fly bobby is branded into my brain wow so i was having a hard time placing him for a while because i've seen that 70s show 20 years ago whenever it was on but in that 70s show he's always so angry dumbass and he wasn't so angry throughout the beginning of part them. of this. And so I was like, is that him? I don't know. Get mad. <laughs> and then he did. And I was like, oh, it is. All right. While they are brutally arresting him and saying something that generally sounds like Miranda writes, he bites one of the feds. 
So is the evil transferred through saliva like a virus? Gargoyles are like werewolves. Right? If you get bit by a gargoyle, you turn into a gargoyle. <laughs> I'm trying throughout this whole time. I'm like, what are they doing with this episode? There's a couple of good misdirects in the episode. Yeah. A couple of uh, deceptions by the by the writer and director. Yeah. No, I agree. It was just me trying to figure it out as I was going. This episode did a really good job of keeping you guessing. All the way through past the end. Mm. <laughs> we'll talk about the end when we get to the end. The camera scans the room and finds that he's wallpapered his room with charcoal drawings. Investigator Dude is actually wearing gloves when he pulls a picture from the wall. So he's light years ahead of our favorite agents. Well done. Yep. Scully does use gloves later in the episode. Did you notice? Well, because she really enjoys the snap. Right. At one point, Agent Bill Patterson finds the utility knife used in the murder. The blood? My note says the blood is covered in blood. The blood is covered in blood. It meant, I meant the blade is covered in blood, though the outside is wiped clean. So open and shut case, right? Nope. This is the X-Files and the cold open. So obviously our prime suspect cannot be the culprit. Oh. Or cannot be the only culprit. Yeah. Or it's gargoyles. It's gargoyles. (laughs) Gargoyles are like werewolves. I guess so. Mostow is an immigrant from Uzbekistan with a history of involuntary commitment because the X-Files can't not do that. And he is charged with killing seven men by mutilating their faces. The description reminds me of the Joker, how he mutilates their faces and cuts a smile into them. It was a bit much. Mulder acknowledges there is no evidence of sexual violence against these men, though Scully mentions overkill. And I meant to look up, is mutilation of a corpse equivalent to overkill? I don't know, because Overkill feels like it's all happening at the time. Like, somebody is stabbed 30 times. You don't, like, leave and then come back and do it some more, usually. But mutilation feels like there's intent. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the actual definition is, but I would not have said they were equivalent. Yeah, mutilation feels like that is the goal. Right. Rather than the byproduct. Right. Overkill feels like it's emotionally charged and you are, you were going to kill them, but now you are continuing. Overly killing them. Because you are continuing to do whatever it was you were doing. The agents become involved in the investigation when Mostow insists that he was possessed during the killings. Mulder is thrilled. Mostow's claims are given credence when another murder occurs after his arrest, primarily because the cuttings are identical. Why? I don't understand the through line of being possessed to kill and another murder happening. Wouldn't this indicate that they had the wrong person? Because they don't say that I heard in this part of the episode how they decided it was him and then how they decided part of it was him, but then there was another one. And why would there be a copycat? How would there be a copycat who wasn't already involved in the case? Because it it happened so quickly, the details of the murder being exactly the exact details of the murder wouldn't have already gotten out in the press. They say all that. They mention pretty much all of that when they're talking about this. Yeah, that it can't be a copycat that's not one of the... That's not the guy who got bit by the gargoyle. They're, right. tra- they're trying to make you think it's the guy who got bit by the gargoyle. Right, but I've already said it can't be a copycat. Yeah, and they said that too. Right, what I'm saying is how no. would it not be this... How would it still be this guy and someone else? That's why it's spooky. Mostel draws a gargoyle and claims... It made him kill. Scully isn't sold, naturally. 
She's over this guy's story before he even begins. His claims that he didn't kill these men are pretty tough to believe since Mostow's fingerprints were found on the scene, not those of a demon, says Scully. Which makes me think, okay, so they do actually have a reason for arresting him, and then someone else's fingerprints are at the next scene? Not sure whose fingerprints are anywhere, but because Mostow's wearing gloves when he kills people. You can see his hands, they look like gargoyle hands. Right. When he's slashing the nude model. So... He's wearing gloves. He can't have fingerprints all over the Scully place. Scully says they're, his fingerprints are at the scene. Okay, so obviously Mostow has some issues that need to be addressed. Possession ain't it. Or wouldn't be if this wasn't the X-Files. So let's buckle in. Scully mentions DID and then says something about claiming possession as a way to justify what they did. Mm-hmm. Could be the DID if that's what he actually has. I don't think you need to make up a possession story if you actually have DID. I don't think the X-Files needs to keep diving into the realm of psychiatry because they are bad at it. Chris Carter, specifically. Agree. The agents meet with Patterson, who has spent three years working on the case. So he's bad at his job. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Especially if at this last site, if there are fingerprints. So, like, there's been fingerprints at every site and Patterson just still hasn't caught this guy. Well, if he's not in the system, then fingerprints don't matter. When, this is just my complete ignorance, when somebody is, when somebody comes over with a visa, do they fingerprint them? No idea. It seems like a thing the United States would do unnecessarily. Maybe not in the 90s. It's true. I don't know. All right. Mulder knows Patterson from his time in the investigative support unit at Quantico. Their relationship is abrasive and Patterson is skeptical of Mulder's theories, but there's a lot of foreshadowing here if you pay attention. I have bolded the foreshadowing pieces. Oh, great. So Mulder says, in bold, That's what always amazed me about you, Bill. You never fit your own profile. And then unbolded, No one would ever guess how really mean-spirited you are. I thought that was a pretty good dig. (laughs) But it was definitely foreshadowing. Because Bill Patterson, which I didn't mention earlier, has had, but maybe obvious because he's been working on this case for three years, has put together the profile on the murderer. Uh, Bill Patterson's profile says that it is a an individual working alone. And so now he's struggling with the second killer slash copycat slash not copycat slash whatever is happening since we got the guy, but the murders are still happening. And if he worked alone and that's what I've been, and that's the assumption I've been working on for three years, then my whole profile is garbage. Mm-hmm. But we know that Bill Wait. doesn't even fit his own profile. But Bill's open to his profile being wrong, because now he's running under the assumption that there is an accomplice. Is he running under that assumption, or is he pretending to run under that assumption? He's bum, bum, bum. running under the assumption. It's actually... Consciously. A, right. Patterson says, The arrest of John Mostow resulted in three years of hard work in my unit. Three years, and I bolded. You can imagine we were awful upset by this latest murder, and by the suspect floating this possession theory. Unbold. Mulder says, you think he's got an accomplice then, even though your own profile of Mostow states that he's most certainly working alone. Patterson in bold. My profile led to his arrest. No, he acted alone. And that murder last night was done by a second killer. And he acted alone too. Ooh. So there's a lot of foreshadowing in here. Scully asks about it because she is the best partner. And Mulder says, in bold, because this is also foreshadowing. <laughs> Wanting to track a killer... To know an artist, you have to look at his art. 
it really meant if you want to catch a monster, you have to become one yourself and I've, bold. I've always hated that know, theory or trope or whatever. The cop who says shit like that. I'm pretty sure it's an excuse for bad behavior. Exactly. It's always bothered me. Every time it's been brought up. Mm-hmm. Mulder and Scully go to Mostel's studio and discover a hidden room full of gargoyle sculptures and a cat. Chester! Oh my god! <laughs> Chester's back! Chester made a made a triumphant return. I was excited. <laughs> That's awesome. It was funny because Scully's looking around at all these gargoyles, unsettled, and the cat jumps out of wherever, and she says, I thought it was one of them come to life. Oh, I missed that. And I was like, what? Who wrote this line, Chris Carter? <laughs> That's not a Scully line. <laughs> right. Mulder goes in alone for some reason, and rather than eating the clay he gouges from the gargoyle's face, he puts his flashlight in his mouth and ignores Scully while gouging the face of the off the gargoyle. As he does, he finds a corpse inside. This scene also bothered me because she's yelling at him from the other room. Why not just walk through the door? Exactly. And he's got his flashlight in his mouth, so it's not like he can answer her. He could have before he put his flashlight in his mouth. But Mulder is not a good partner. He needs to work on his communication. In the next scene, we see a glass blower who is attacked and hospitalized. Niemhauser, another agent on the case, tells Scully that Patterson was responsible for getting Mulder assigned to the investigation and may admire him after all. It's a long shot and very obvious about what's to happen. <laughs> if you know what's going to happen. I wrote that before I saw the next... Scene. Oh, okay. I am above average intelligence. Can tell what's going to happen in the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> I was still running under the assumption that it was a gargoyle episode. I was never running under the assumption that it was a gargoyle. I, was, I guess it was just hopeful thinking. Probably, because I am neutral on gargoyles. Gargoyles are fine. Gargoyles are cool. They were cool to see on cathedrals and stuff when we went to France, just because it's like, huh. Well, there's some spooky looking things on that building. Mm-hmm. On that spooky looking building. <laughs> but yeah, as far as monsters of the week go, meh. I can well, take them away or leave them. You haven't seen one yet, so. I'm not, I haven't been seeking them out, no. Why? Have you seen a gargoyle? Uh, not yet. I thought we were going to see one, and we didn't. In this episode? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Niemhauser is the one who was bitten during the recovery of this person. So he's turning into a gargoyle. Because at this point. saliva virus. Oh, werewolf. Werewolf rules. Wouldn't that be a, because of the saliva and a virus? It's magic. Oh. Leading me to assume he's the next in line to start mutilating young men. See? I didn't say us because I was like, I don't know how David feels about this, so I'm just going to say me. Our attention is drawn back to him when Scully acknowledges his stitches. So we won't forget. Exactly. Never forget. Patterson drops in, asking where Mulder is, and the glass blower becomes agitated until the nurse asks the agents to leave. Bum, 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 more bold foreshadowing. This could be explained away by the upsetting subject matter, though. But it wasn't. No. (laughs) We know now what the reason was. In the library, Patterson finds Mulder studying gargoyles, expressing disappointment in him. Luckily for Mulder, he wouldn't want to disappoint Patterson by not disappointing him. Mulder is such a child in Good. this episode. I liked Or in this it. scene. You liked that? I liked it. It felt very father-son. What I didn't like was the voiceover while Mulder is studying. Even Fox Mulder was bored by this voiceover because he fell asleep in the middle of it. 
That's hilarious that you said that because I've stopped paying attention to Mulder's voiceovers and didn't even realize it happened. I don't know what he was talking about because I stopped paying attention in the middle of it. I know he has another voiceover at the end, which I also didn't listen to. I have kind of a summary of what happens, but that's because I had to go back and read the script because I, I can't. I can't do the voiceovers. Neither can Fox Mulder. He fell asleep. Yeah, so did I, apparently, because I didn't realize it happened in this scene. I guess it makes sense or not. Whatever. Also, Patterson has some weird anti-library opinions. (laughs) (laughs) He also says he thought Mulder would have put his feet on the ground by now. But why? Isn't everyone following this basement fed's career? Because every time that anybody from Mulder's past comes, comes up, they're like, Mulder, basement Mulder, basement guy, the guy who's right. been sent to the basement. Everybody knows that he's the, he's spooky Mulder, except Patterson, I guess. But are, why are they all following his career? He is a laughing stock. Maybe that's why. I don't. I know the shitty people at my work. Yes, that's I am true. acquainted with them. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> Maybe that's right. Oh, it's just so weird because every time they're like, here is his office in this closet that no one's used for 1900 years. And then everybody's like, hey, Mulder was the smartest guy in our class. Mulder's the coolest guy we've ever heard of. Mulder's the guy who's getting it done. Mulder gets it done. (laughs) Mulder has the inability to forget things. That's right. You'd think that he would, I don't know, use that more or... For better reasons? Probably not. I think if I had the inability to forget things, I'd be like, why do I know all of this? (laughs) Why? Why should I know these things? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) After you showed me that meme, the next day I got an email that I actually did that. I played that meme in my head because as I was deleting it. Like, I don't think any of this applies to me. Scully goes to Mulder's apartment and finds it covered in gargoyle drawings, which I want to know, when the hell did he have time to do this? What is the timeline of this episode? Didn't he just take them from the guy's apartment? Like, he didn't draw all of these. All of them? I don't think he drew all of these. But he, I think he stole all of them. I these. honestly don't, pr- probably, he has no ethics. <laughs> <laughs> there is no chain of command for um, evidence, as we will continue to see. But... Did he even have time to go home, let alone gather all of the the pictures and then put them all back up? Sure, why not? I mean, look at our wall. You took those things down and then have it, they haven't made it back up. And it's been more than a day. I feel like this is all happening in one day. I have no idea. I also don't know. But he wallpapered his place with gargoyles. Which, I mean, sure. Mulder, who is not at his apartment, but rather is at Mostal's studio, sculpts a gargoyle out of clay in a few hours, which is nuts, because no. He does it without Patrick Swayze's help. Right? Without the Righteous Brothers. If Patrick Swayze had been there to help, I would have thought, of course he did it in a couple of hours. Right? I love how... Okay, so you haven't taken a 2D art class. Have you taken a 3D art class? No. Of course not. Have you ever made anything out of clay? I mean, not since, like, elementary school. You're not living, man. I studied real things. I didn't have time for all of this frivolous frou-frou stuff when I was trying to become president in 2032. Yeah? Yeah. How's, how's that working out? I got time. <laughs> I don't 
think you do. I do, because clearly you don't need to be qualified to become president. No, but people need to know who you are. Yeah, I got 10 years. You better start. I'm doing a podcast. There's plenty of people listening to this right now who know who I am. Everybody. Everybody listening to this knows who I am. (laughs) Great. I guess vote in 2032. Hell yeah. Ugh. If we even still have a country then. Mulder falls asleep at some point in a bed, which is always a bad sign because nothing good happens when Mulder falls asleep in a bed. That's how we know he is stressed out. Yes. He wakes up to a masked figure standing over him. A pursuit begins. This is a huge warehouse. This is a giant, enormous warehouse. Yeah, it's... This is the studio, and then that backroom studio, and then another place. How did Mostow afford all this? I don't know. Or does he work at the warehouse, and then he also, like, ha- there's some extra little space in the back, and so he, like, for low rent or, you know, whatever rent, he's he can stay there, and it's just easier than commuting. Because... And I guess it's just coincidentally empty right now. Yeah. It is nighttime. It is. It certainly is. And it's just a bunch of wooden pallets, so I don't know who needs to be moving around wooden pallets in the nighttime. Pallet salesman? I guess so. 24-hour pallets. <laughs> Get your pallets here. Any time of day or night, we got you covered. Pallet sales. The gargoyle person loses Mulder, but then pops out from behind some stacks and slashes Mulder with a utility knife. Mulder falls into the only soft space in the warehouse, and the gargoyle runs off. Mulder refuses to explain to Scully why he's in the studio. He's basically throwing a tantrum. Although she's expressing frustration at how often Mulder leaves her in the dark to worry about him. Poor lady. He blows it off because, as we know, Mulder is a terrible partner. Scully confronts Patterson, calling him out for targeting Mulder. She suspects it's payback from Mulder leaving the ISU eight years before. Patterson says that's not the case. He simply wants this to end. So I should have bolded that because that's also foreshadowing. Yeah, he says, let Mulder do what Mulder's going to do. Right. He says, he also tells her not to try and stop Mulder from doing what he's doing because she won't be able to stop him. More foreshadowing. And I thought that Patterson knew that the gargoyle was possessing people and thought that Mulder was getting possessed so they could pin it all on him. Or so at least he would be unpossessed. Huh. Or actually Nimhauser, I was thinking. Nimhauser was the one possessed and that... The possession would shift over to Mulder, and then they could... Get Mulder? Get Mulder. You thought Patterson was after Mulder this whole time? They did say that he requested him specifically. Mm -hmm. So, if you don't like somebody, and you need someone to take over being possessed, why not somebody you dislike? Right, but Nimhauser explained to Scully that Patterson actually admires Mulder. Might like Nimhauser better, because he's part of the team. Didn't get those vibes. Got some sweaty vibes from the first guy, but didn't get... Sweaty I vibes like, with no sweat. Didn't like... Didn't get Nemhauser is a cool guy vibes from Patterson. He seemed like a fine guy. All right. A bit later, Scully finds a disembodied... Not a disembodied because utility knives don't have bodies. <laughs> a disassembled utility knife at the latest crime scene. She noticed it when she saw the razor sticking out of a tire of a police car. She uses gloves. Hooray! Good job. To remove the blade and checks under the car for additional evidence, where she finds the handle. She gets it tested, which results in Mulder's prints. She then covers for Mulder, although at this point it's looking like an FBI agent is, is involved in multiple murders. Even our fictional agents can't bypass the good old boy code. She discovers that the murder weapon is missing from the evidence room. Isn't that a crime? 
There's like so many crimes happening. When she's talking to the fingerprint expert, the fingerprint expert says, no, I tested it twice. It's definitely molders. I just assumed that basically he contaminated the evidence. (laughs) Right. You know, NBD. did. NBD. Well, that's not when his fingerprints got on it. No, not at the site. No. Mulder goes to see Mostow again, who refuses to divulge how to find the creature that attacked him. Mulder grabs him by the neck. Everyone is sweaty and acting bonkers. Everybody's the bad guy. Yep. In this scene, she meets with Assistant Assistant Director Walter Skinner, who is also worried about Mulder's behavior. Skinner knows way too much, way too fast. It's pretty ridiculous. But he's, like, in charge, so you know how in charge people know everything. Oh, yeah, all of my bosses just know everything. <laughs> was I... They're well informed. Oh, not that Assistant Director Walter Skinner would do anything if Mulder was a murderer, but they want to discuss it at least. Sorry, I'm too close to cops covering for cops that I refuse to be neutral in this situation. Okay, then I'll be pro-cop. <laughs> so we can be balanced. No, let's not be balanced. You can be neutral if you want to be. Mulder has a nightmare about being attacked by a gargoyle that is really himself. He looks around and Patterson and Niemhauser are there, which makes me think of the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy wakes up and you were there and you were there and I was there and then I cut my own face. It's unfortunate. It was creepy. Yep. It was well done. Good tone. So I found a little dream interpretation because he had this nightmare about oh, gargoyles. Oh, good dream interpretation. And unfortunately, they use some outdated language like spear animal. <laughs> So, this is from a website called What Dreams Mean. As you can tell, I I dove deep for this one. Gargoyle is a powerful totem for those who need some protection. It may be that your current situation has you feeling vulnerable and exposed to negativity, which I thought was apt for how this episode's going with Mulder dreaming of a gargoyle. Mm -hmm. And I think he does need protection. And he's (laughs) super stressed. Still, with this, as they put, spirit animal as your guide, which is awful the gargoyles can show you how to ward off negative energies by going into what they represent an elevated point of view do you know what gargoyles are actually used for protection against evil spirits they're used for water drainage yeah the ones with the gutters do. nothing evil about water drainage good water flow no but flowing water protects against vampires yeah okay With all of its symbolism and meanings in mind, a gargoyle will enlighten, empower, or even inspire you on any journey it guides you through. This one inspired Mulder to cut his own face with a box cutter. Because he was becoming the gargoyle. Mulder wakes up and goes to Mostow's studio again, finding a severed arm. Which he barely reacts to. (laughs) (laughs) It's because he's so stressed out and tired. He's like, okay. Scully gets a message to call Nimhauser, but his phone is answered by Mulder who denies taking the knife. He does say that he went to evidence to hold the knife because he wanted to feel it in his hand. Such a weird thing. But why? This isn't actually possession. They so are what are we supposed so, to believe they here? They are going so hard on Mulder's being possessed. But it's not. I know. So what is he doing? It doesn't make any sense. So nuts. You can also hold it in the bag, dude. You can also just go hold a different one because they all feel the same. <laughs> Go to Home Depot, go to Lowe's, go to Ace Hardware, go to your local hardware store. They all have them. Grab the one you have in your (laughs) toolkit. They're not exactly rare. They're probably in your office because your office is a storage hole that everybody jams (laughs) things in. Someone's probably left one down there at some point. After hanging up with Scully, Mulder searches Mostow's studio. 
He squishes another gargoyle face, which I feel like would be super fun to do. But also, if you had to build all of those gargoyles and watch him squish them, like, how many gargoyles do they have to build in order for Mulder to squish so that they could get the shot? Oh, so many. And that reminds me that we went through the first one too quickly. Why was the clay still wet on the one? Because it's not fired. On the first one. Because it's not fired. But if it sat in there for weeks, it would still dry up. It would dry slowly. Weeks? It would dry. I don't know. I don't know how damp it is in that dank, dank back room. Okay. Maybe he has humidifiers. I forgot about dankness. (laughs) Yes. You forgot about the dankness. I did not take into account dank. Yep. See? That's why you got to work with a partner. Uh, (laughs) So one of you can remind you of dankness. Thank you. One of you has to remember the dankness. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're you're very (laughs) welcome. I couldn't do it. I could not do it, and I also couldn't do it. It was, it was a tough place to that be. That was embarrassing. It was. I'm embarrassed for you. You should be. Uh, after he squishes the gargoyle's face, and he finds Nimhauser's body inside the new sculpture. Mulder is then confronted by Patterson, who is unaware of how he arrived at the studio. Just like, what's happening with everybody? Are we in, are we in the Bermuda Triangle? Are we in the Washington, D.C. Triangle? Where everybody kind of forgets how they got there? Mulder then decides that Patterson is the killer, based on his three-year obsession with Mostow and his request for Mulder to investigate the case, which is what's happening, but also Mulder would never have put that together (laughs) based on how he's been behaving. It's the... He's just touching evidence in the evidence room and squishing gargoyles' faces. He's not actually doing things. Maybe the gargoyle has possessed a bunch of people all at once. No. No? Okay. It's not what's happening. <laughs> oh, is it the, you have to become a monster to catch a monster bullshit? Yes. Oh, damn. That's what this is. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Mulder confronts him at gunpoint, but Scully thinks Mulder is, has lost it and holds him at gunpoint, which is when Patterson flees. Mulder and Scully pursue Patterson and they fight, but Mulder perceives Patterson as a demonic gargoyle creature. Patterson is shot and apprehended. In the last scene, Patterson is pressed against the bars of his cell, screaming and pleading that he is innocent, while the camera focuses on a gargoyle drawn in blood on the wall of his cell. Earlier in the episode, Mulder told Scully that he and Patterson disagreed on the best way to investigate serial murders, and Patterson always tried to empathize with the subject, imagining himself in the killer's place. Mulder's closing narration concludes that it was this that eventually drove Patterson insane, but Mulder cannot account for what he saw while fighting Patterson. Now, we were talking about, is it real? Is it not? So, I will tell you what what Emily Vanderwerf says in The Monsters of the Week, and then you tell me what you think. The final twist, Patterson is the killer's accomplice. Feels ingenious the first time you watch the episode, but makes less sense the more you think about it. I didn't think it. Yeah, it didn't feel ingenious to me. No. It's interesting in the sense that it suggests men like Patterson or Mulder are drawn to the darkness because it exists somewhere within them already. That's really what I liked about that. And this episode also, it she continues, or she says in another part of this essay, it often turns out that man is the real monster. Irresistible, season two, episode 13, is the show's first instance of this trope. I and, was going to bring that up. And grotesque occupies a similar space within the season that the earlier episode occupied in season two. So? Yeah, it's an unfortunate ending. I don't care for it at all. The episode, for the most part, is very good. The tone 
is good. It keeps you guessing. Kept me guessing in a way. Apparently, you got it right away. (laughs) You saw Red Foreman and went, that guy's a murderer. (laughs) He did it. Oh, he he wanted Mulder? He did it. He wants Mulder to catch him. I got this. I I understand. (laughs) I thought he was trying to set Mulder up to get possessed. But I was also hoping for a gargoyle episode. So, yeah, I don't care for it when... The bad guy is just a dude. This is not the type of show I want. See, I don't mind it because that's how it is in real life. But people refuse (laughs) to acknowledge that. People are like, people always want it to be a monster. Oh, well, that person is a monster. No, that person is scarier than a monster because that person is a person. Okay, well, I'm watching the X-Files where monsters exist. So I want it to be a monster. Well, unless um, unless we can get Squeeze back. I ain't got time for this. What? <laughs> if I wanted to watch a regular-ass cop procedural, that's what I would do. No, but it... No. I don't want that. Exactly. That's my point. I want monsters. That's why I'm watching the X-Files. I see. Monsters and aliens. Big, I don't think there are big any Big feats with big old titties. I'm still unsure if aliens are actually around or if it's all just human experimentation man we've seen multiple aliens right but they all tie back to human experimentation brian thompson had a literal spaceship oh i keep forgetting about brian thompson which is on me because no one should, for- no. should forget about brian thompson. how dare you well look it's been a long day it has do you have any other revelations about this any other opinions you would like to express no just that Okay. You just wanted it to be a gargoyle and you're disappointed that it's not? I am shipping this show and an actual gargoyle. Okay. (laughs) I mean, we have 800 more episodes, so you might get your wish. Who are you shipping? Ooh. Scully and a better partner. Damn. (laughs) I have a feeling that you're going to get that. That's true. (laughs) Eventually. When When they work together, they're good. I don't like it when... Scully has to play the adult and Mulder has gets to play the like child, I guess. I don't even like that dynamic. He's just he's just being self-centered. I don't well, like it. He was sort of possessed by But he wasn't. Something. But he wasn't. He's possessed by the spirit of catching Christmas. a murderer. How to catch a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ship Mulder and some therapy so he can work on his communication skills okay that's what i'll do how are you surviving surviving? jinx you owe me a coke (laughs) okay well i've got to run errands later so i guess i'll get one um i like vanilla coke (laughs) i am going to survive by oh leaving before the last person in the art class surviving by not being a young man that's true it was what 18 to 24 yeah i'm well out of that range I am also not a young man. I guess that's it. Yep. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things artistic wonderful things we are raising the bar on podcasting we would love you forever for that 
We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Anuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. <laughs> I know that it's pointlessism. No. No. I took a shot.